Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good afternoon and welcome to What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights with me, your host, Katie Kiefer. And uh, I have a really fantastic show today. I'm very excited about it. I'm sure a lot of my listeners read the article in The New Yorker about ecovative design. My guest today is Eben Bayer. He is the CEO and co-founder of Ecovative, a a biomaterials company that grows sustainable materials and products using unique living organisms. Wait until you hear this story, you guys. Ecovative has been recognized by the World Economic Forum as a tech pioneer for its potential impact on climate change by the Postcode Lottery Green Challenge and recently won an Environmental Quality Award from the EPA. Ecovative has been widely covered in the media, including said New Yorker article, which I think was like May 20th, um, and uh, articles in Wired, a Popular Science, and Time. In 2009, Ecovative created Mushroom Trademarked Packaging, a cost-competitive alternative to styrofoam used by major brands in the packaging, furniture, and lifestyle industries. The technology is now licensed to sealed air. I guess that's the people who make the little pillows that get packed in your cardboard boxes. Um, they partnered with Ecovative to expand production throughout North America and Europe. Ecovative is now developing its material platform into other markets, including consumer goods, building, construction, and vehicle applications. Eben Bayer studied at Rensselaer Polytech Institute, where he received dual degrees in mechanical engineering and innovation and design. And for the 18 years prior to that, he studied agriculture and farming through hands-on learning at his family farm in central Vermont. Welcome to the program, Eben. Thank you so, so much for taking time out of your day today. I'm really excited to tell people more about your product. So, um, Eben, you're there? Yeah, I am. Thanks okay, for having cool. me. Okay, cool. You're most welcome. Yeah, I, I'll shut up now and let you talk now. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, tell people, in case people missed the amazing article in The New Yorker, tell us what is mushroom packaging and how does it work? So mushroom packaging is uh, what we call a direct replacement for foam in packaging. And, you know, we talk a lot about expanded polystyrene, but it can be any of the foam materials you get in the mail. Mm-hmm. Um, and unlike foam packaging, you know, which takes really millions of years to form, you use it for weeks or months, and then you leave it in your backyard, it would take millions of years to break down. Right. Mushroom packaging is our biological equivalent. Mm-hmm. So we grow it in days. It works just as well as plastic foams in packaging, but it breaks down naturally in your garden or compost pile. So our whole philosophy is to give people, ship people nutrients, not pollutants. Yeah, sounds great. And so when you use this, give us an example of what it's being used for now in terms of packaging so people can get a picture of it. It's like you use it, you do uh, molded packaging, right, for specific products or for... Yeah, imagine you get a toaster in the mail and you pull it out of the box and there's that squeaky noise and then something cracks and there's that white, (laughs) all plastic material in your hands. We're trying to replace that with something that's healthier, better, and uh, more sustainable. Absolutely. It's, I, I think it's just an incredible idea. So now I want you to take us through the process of how you and your partner figured out that mushroom roots 
are going to make a glue that will hold together virtually any, uh, you know, organic substance that will be strong enough to do what you need it to do. <laughs> sure. Well, from my perspective, that, you know, the farming experience is key for me. And, you know, that in the intro there, that was really zero to 18 years. So I don't know how much the first six years of uh, <laughs> learning counted, but... <laughs> Osmosis. <laughs> um, the, it was sort of a combination of, of seeing a natural property. Uh, actually, at my family farm in Vermont, which is these uh, mycelial tissue growing on wood chips, kind of holding them together in clumps. I know you're shoveling them. And then mm-hmm. many years later at, uh, at Rensselaer, being, taking a class on innovation and being challenged to create a better insulator. And it was the thought that what could you use as a good glue as an insulator or a resin and looking to nature for a great resin, which is mycelium. Uh-huh. So mycelium is, um, I think you described it as the roots of mushrooms. It's it's some it's a fiber, it's a glue, it's yeah. a liquid. It's what is it? Yeah, well, there, there's a couple ways to think of it. Any any mycologist listening today are cringing when I say it's the roots of a mushroom because it's not quite true, but it's a good analogy if you're familiar with plants. <laughs> right at <laughs> but, all? <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> when I put on my uh, my engineering hat, I think of mycelium as a a self-assembling assembling polymer. You know, it's a little smaller than the diameter of a human hair, um, and it assembles itself molecule by molecule, and um, it's, there's a lot of it. In a single cubic inch of our product, there's almost a mile of fibers. Amazing. And how do you guys... So what do you do? You, you extract the mycelium from a mushroom bed? Yeah. Um, and well, then you somehow mix that in with agricultural wastes. Uh, give us an example of some of the waste products that you're using that would normally just literally go to landfill or some other, you know, less um, worthy place. Well, we like to, we like to think of this as an open loop feedstock, so we can use many different kinds of agricultural byproducts. And right now, we use things like corn stalks, what's left over after you harvest the corn, um, cotton stalks, which is a byproduct from the cotton industry. And we're even using some new industrial crops that they're growing in the U.S., like canapis. And canap's a great plant because it grows in uh, drought-torn areas. It's really resilient, and they're trying to find uses for all the pieces of the plant. Uh-huh. And on the mycelium side, uh, part of the magic is, you know, you're right. You do actually go out, find a mushroom that you think looks interesting, and take a little piece of it. But after that, it naturally keeps cloning itself, kind of like a plant would propagate. So you only have to add a little mycelium to each batch, just like you add a little yeast. Uh-huh. When you make bread. Neat. So you add that into your ground up, presumably ground up agricultural waste, be it corn stalk, be it uh, whatever, oat shells, I don't know, um, <laughs> <laughs> oat hulls. Um, mm-hmm. And and then you, you pour it into a form and let it harden. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah. It's almost like uh, having concrete set or, or baking mm-hmm. a cake where you mix the ingredients together, you put it in a mold, and then... You know, rather than being just a chemical reaction, though, what's, what's actually happening is the mycelium is growing throughout the, the ag waste, partially digesting it, so building its network around it, and then what it doesn't digest becomes kind of the aggregate, which makes up the composite. Wow. Amazing. This is so cool. So your company, as I mentioned in your intro, was uh, featured in the New Yorker issue of May 20th. For those of you who want to go back and take a look at it, um, it's a very comprehensive article. And what I loved about it was that it gave a history of um, polystyrene and styrofoam um, and then it sort of introduced your product and, and how they parallel. Um, were you happy with the article, by the way? You must have been thrilled, right? Yeah. You know, you never know in that situation. You can't yeah. ask for something like that. And the author, Ian Frazier, um, I think did a tremendous job, not only kind of chronicling our history, but 
uh, putting it in context of um, these other technologies. So I was I was really grateful uh, for the article. Yeah, I mean, I, I, so my next question is, how many deals have you cut since it published? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we've been overwhelmed by the response, you know, from letters from school children yeah. uh, to calls from multinationals, but I, I just got to admit, I kind of like getting the letters from school children more sometimes. Oh, no kidding, right? Fascinating. <laughs> It's really great to hear what kids feel when they see something like that, which almost, I mean, even to me, appears magical. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of that. So now, will you, um, do you anticipate that this product uh, will eventually replace all other uh, sort of polystyrene, uh, styrofoam, petrochemically based um, plastics? Um, or does it have certain limitations that wouldn't allow it to go into one specific industry or another? Yeah, I mean, that's a tall order. Um, I would say... First, I think there's many more biological alternatives to plastics to be discovered. You know, nature has this incredible toolkit of natural polymers. Now, some you're really familiar with, like wood. Uh, some sure. folks are just learning about, like mushroom. But there's all sorts of neat materials found in nature, in the ocean and crustaceans, and et cetera. And then there's always places where plastics are better. Um, it's just when I look at, for instance, say the food packaging market, um, it's like 95% plastic. And I think it could be the other way around, 95% natural materials with those things that you really need a plastic for, maybe you want to last for 100 years, um, use that last 5%, use our plastics for that. Yeah, I mean, I could see you use, use plastic for, say, cryovacking meat. That's about the only place where I see plastic as being pretty much irreplaceable, unless some other sort of fiber, you know, natural fiber thing comes up that would produce the same vacuum seal because that's obviously what you're looking for in something like that and um it doesn't sound like your product could do that but you could like all the styrofoam shells um in restaurants all of the styrofoam packaging in meat um you know everything in the uh, grocery store i mean well we're going to talk about that in a minute um (laughs) (laughs) but i uh, one thing i did want to touch on before we um we're gonna have to take a break in a minute and so i want to touch on the cost uh the cost of your packaging versus conventional produced packaging um, are those costs competitive and is the carbon footprint similar in terms of energy consumed in order to produce your product uh, versus conventional plastics those are both great questions oh i'm so glad you think so well they're the ones that are always on people's minds and um, i'm happy to talk about them Uh, our our philosophy on costing is uh, we have to be cost competitive any technology that disrupts an incumbent like plastics um, has to be at least the same price, if not cheaper. Otherwise, it's a feel-good thing that people don't implement. And um, I'm really happy to say that we're, we've reached, in many of these markets, and particularly packaging, a cost parity with the incumbent material. Amazing. And that, yeah, it is amazing, but it's also, that's just the first hurdle. Then you still have to get people to switch, to adopt a new technology, to learn about it. So um, it, it still takes work, but that's, without that, we, we, you couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I, yeah, go ahead, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, in terms of carbon footprint, you know, we're, we're costing we want to be equal on, you know, carbon footprint we want to be way more aggressive on. And there's lots of different ways to measure a carbon footprint of a material. You know, we like to look at a cradle-to-cradle analysis, so the whole life cycle. And, um, you know, our kind of aspirational target is to use one-fifth uh, to one-tenth the energy required to make the same amount of foam pla- plastic. Mm-hmm. And we're not there yet, but we're, we're well on our way and well below plastic. So how will you do that? I mean, because uh, do you, you require heat or light in order to make your um, product uh, set up or what, what, what's the, or to grow the mushrooms, what's the biggest uh, sort of user of energy in your process? 
Well, right now, the only, the only place where we really require energy uh, is in the drying stage uh-huh. because this is biology, and mm-hmm. like you know, being a human made of water, biology needs lots of water to work well. Yeah. So the drying process is where we consume the most of our energy. It's still on a cubic foot basis, you know, a uh, piece of packaging to piece of packaging, a fraction of what's embodied in a piece of styrofoam. But right. it could also be done through other methods like solar drying. And we're constantly working to reduce the density of our material so it dries faster. Wow. Okay. That's very interesting. Um, you know what, Joe, let's take our quick little sponsor drop. Eben, stay on the line. And uh, we have to do a little sponsor drop. We'll be right back with Eben Bayer of Ecovative Design. This is What Doesn't Kill You. Stay tuned for the rest of this fascinating interview. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years, so it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will too, and I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Leaving by Dead Stars on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Stay tuned for more What Doesn't Kill You. is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insight, with me, your host, Katie Kiefer. On the line with me today is Eben Bayer, who is the co-founder of Ecovative Designs, a really um, unusual and groundbreaking firm that creates packaging materials and soon many other materials out of uh, mushroom mycelium and agricultural waste. So welcome back to the program. Eben, thank you again for joining me. Um, You know, as I read through your website and, and read some other pieces about you and the, and the company, it seems as if your packaging concept or this particular uh, sort of trademarked product has an almost infinite number of applications. Um, give us a list of some of the other opportunities that you see coming down the pipeline for you in addition to sort of the, the molded plastic forms that people would put around toasters. Where else can this go? It's, it's you know, it it's, seems so malleable. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, we, we originally started in building material, and uh-huh. uh, now we now we've reached a, a really uh, reasonable level of scale with these right. uh, with with our packaging business. We're we're really excited to get back to that space because um, it's an area where people really are passionate about building with healthy, uh, safe materials. And sure. we're looking at uh, everything from a conventional insulation you could uh, stuff in your walls to um, some pretty out there projects. We've actually been growing. Uh, a tiny house on a trailer uh, at work the last month, and it's come out really well. So tell me, wait, because I, I had a question about that. Um, tell me about the tiny house. So what did you guys do? You built a frame, like a two-by-four frame, right? And then you yeah. basically blew this mycelium mixture in between a frame, like you put some sort yeah, of a frame to hold the walls in place and make them flat? Exactly. It's kind of like building with really lightweight concrete. So we there actually are no two-by-fours in the walls, which, oh. is, which is a benefit. So we put... Uh, a four by four at each end of the wall, which is about sixteen feet long, and we ran boards up the wall and glued our living material into the walls. And then, over the last few weeks, it's been you know growing together, getting really strong, really stiff. 
and also gluing itself to the wood boards. So you end up with a wall with no studs, no thermal bridging, uh, that's really strong and, you know, really affordable and easy to make. You know, two people could build a little tiny home like this in a day or two. Oh, my God. That's, a, that's unbelievable. It's so cool. Well, it, violates, uh, it violates a tremendous number of building codes today, which is uh, <laughs> why it's on a trailer. Well, but, uh, we a hope, minor we hope problem. it could be a future building method. <laughs> so you're saying that this could be used as an insulation, like the way they blow fiberglass into walls now, you could blow this mixture into walls? Because I'm thinking I want to do that. I have a yeah, big well, old pile send, of ours. Send me a note afterwards. We'll get, we'll get you a secret <laughs> Yeah, install. man, I really need some help with that. <laughs> but I think it's just like, this is just an amazing thing. So inside, for example, if they were building a skyscraper, you would use this instead of something else uh, as insulation? Or would you actually use this as a building material, say, for, you couldn't, I mean, would it support that kind of weight, I guess is my question, yeah, for well, multi-story what's buildings? Yeah, nice about it is it's actually very structural. I mean, a, a skyscraper uh-huh. is, 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 a, is aggressive, but many, um, many, many commercial and residential buildings that use framing methods like this, mm-hmm. um, it, it becomes the structure of the building because it glues itself to all the other pieces. And uh-huh. uh, unlike a foam, they actually use foam plastic like this. They blow it into walls and right. foam up in between the walls. But this material is both steep and it's really fire-resistant. So, uh-huh. especially for commercial structures, we see that as a huge benefit. Well, no doubt. And what about water-resistant? Do you have to worry about it getting wet? You don't. I mean, you don't have to worry about it getting wet like you splash water on it. It's quite uh, water-resistant, actually. Uh-huh. But like a 2 by 4 in your wall, if you were to submerge your house in you know, a puddle or a lake for a long period of time, it would do what it's supposed to do and start to break down. Uh-huh. That, that takes a, a, about as long or even longer than some woods. So if you if you were to build a house out of this material in a floodplain, um, <laughs> you you might actually come out unscathed, more or less. I mean, your contents of your house would be ruined, obviously, but the house would still remain structurally sound. Well, I have to say, I had a, unfortunately a, a family house that was in a, a flood from uh, in Vermont last year from uh-huh. Irene, and uh, yeah. even those wood houses, you basically have to replace everything after they're flooded. So wow. I wouldn't warranty better performance than that. But if you built a structure and, and put a good roof on it. Yeah, cool. And so, Evan, do you, um, when you are changing up, like, what you're going to make this product into, whether it's um, insulation or um, structural, uh, you know, sections of a house or or uh, packaging, do you change the formula? Do you change the kind of mushroom you use? Do you change the kind of agricultural uh, byproduct that you're using? I mean, are there different sort of, um, I don't know, mixes, shall we say, different aggregate mixes? Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things that that I personally find so exciting. Uh-huh. The, the chemical industry likes to to point to all the different things you can do with different polymer chains, and um, we get to do the same thing. We could pick a different crop waste, maybe one that's more fibrous to get a really strong, tenuous material, uh-huh. and we can even pick different mushrooms. We've we've tested hundreds of different mushroom types uh, mm-hmm. to see what their mycelium does, and they're all a little different. So we really do just a couple blends in packaging today. But it's just scratching the surface of what's possible with the platform. How big is your company? How many people are working on this now with you? Uh, I think we're about fifty-five people. Wow! And are they and all about, really uh, young folks like 40, yourself? Thirty-five, forty thousand square feet of uh, manufacturing space. Wow. Can I come up and visit sometime? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Just hop on Amtrak. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, you know, unfortunately, be careful what you wish for because I really do do things like that. I love seeing how things are made. I'm fascinated by industrial, um, you know, me- mechanical structure and, and uh, processes. Um, so I wanted to go back to um, 
food service because styrofoam packaging and food service is just such in fact that's what really made me want to bring you on my show since we're mostly a food-centered radio station i thought well how can i use this story to my advantage and (laughs) and so i thought well you know food service is really where styrofoam that and you know flotation devices um food service seems to be a really big place for um for styrofoam use and i wanted to know where you are in the permitting process i mean how much uh, support or interest does has the government uh, shown in your product um you know like where does this fit into sort of all of that sector of the of the uh, economy because it is certainly a big one well food service is a, is a great one too if you think about the compostable aspect for yeah for both constituents um, it's a challenge, though. You know, to get regulated to be a, a food food contact material is a lot of work. Uh, we're still learning about it. Uh-huh. And um, two, you know, it's that's one of those applications where you really want a good collaborator, someone who's in the industry who understands it uh, to help you make an entry point. So it's it's something we're watching really closely, and a place we you know we hope to be in the coming years. But um, we're still trying to figure out exactly how we do it. And uh, just as an aside, I think there's some other really interesting complementary technologies like um, wiki cells, which makes um, new kinds of edible food packaging. Uh, so there's some, I think there is some exciting stuff starting to happen in that area. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you have competitors. I mean, are there other people who are producing uh, sort of um, materials like yours that are made from organic products that are different, that are using different technologies or different uh, types of of ag waste or different types of glue structures or whatever it is? Do you have well, uh, competition? There's no one uh, out there right now using mycelium or mushroom technology mm-hmm. uh, to make these sorts of products. Uh, you know, our, you could think of paper products as paper plates, uh, as, as a competitor, egg cartons, but we really view them as a, as a friend in this space, right? Our, uh-huh. our competitors are synthetic plastics. But uh, like I kind of said at the beginning, I think I would welcome some more biologic competitors in this space. Because there just aren't a lot of offerings yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, you guys seem to have hit on this, um, you know, particularly smart blend. And, you know, as you said, it's all because you observed wood chips being grown together, uh, you know, on a pile with mushrooms on them and how they sort of became whatever rigid or glued together when you were a kid. I mean, that's that's a very cool observation and a very cool thing to have taken on into your um, your process with your professor, who sounded great, by the way, at Brent yeah, well, that's a, that's a, that a great point because I got to tell you, I'm sure lots of people may have uh, observed that in nature, but it's what happens next, and particularly uh, folks like Bert Swersey, uh, who encouraged Gavin yeah. and I to start this company. And then, like I said, there's you know there's 55 really smart, hardworking people. I'm sure there's people at work today um, who are right. you know giving it their all to make this happen because they they care about this, they care about our planet, uh, and they care about really having an impact. So oh. it, it's a whole team effort. What about p- partnering up with somebody like Whole Foods? I mean, they certainly use their share of, plast- of uh, plastics and styrofoam, and this would play well, to their marketing mantra very well, no? Well, that would actually be exactly what we'd, we'd like to do, is find a real expert brand-leading partner in the food service space and work with them to create an offering. Because yeah. um, with design, you really have to understand every piece of how a package is used to really sure. see how you can replace it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm just thinking about like when you go to buy their, you know, salad bar and they have, they offer either a paper container or mm-hmm. a clamshell. <laughs> you oh, know? they do. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, I mean, so, 
it seems like you have a natural in there. And also I was thinking about like um, colleges and universities would be a natural place to do this because they send so much food out um, in plastics or some kind of styrofoams. I mean, I can remember seeing that a lot. Not that I went to college, but that I've seen it on other people's college campuses. <laughs> but I was thinking like Bon Appetit Management Company, you know, they're all about that earthy yeah, stuff, yeah. right? Anyway. Well, well, hopefully some of them are listening. Uh, yeah, I'm going to make sure that they uh, get a copy of this, certainly. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so we have like five minutes left. Um, what about uh, one last thing I wanted to ask you about was, you know, the Navy, uh, that's kind of how styrofoam got its start, wasn't it? With flotation. Yeah devices does your yeah. product work in the water does it float it, it does it actually floats really well we had, one of our engineers made a, a boat out of it a really cool. primitive one last fall which you can see a video of him uh collapsing out of it on youtube <laughs> um and we one of our, our mycologists van hook is doing some really exciting work uh creating uh buoys out of this for use in maine in the lobster industry oh neat um huge problem these things get you know they last again really long time but they get Popped off by propellers and other things and float up on the beaches. So, right. We'd like to get into that space. It's also a huge balance between making something that lasts, you know, long enough that it's useful yet not too long. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you do want it eventually to go away, I suppose. But if it's, I mean, they're biodegradable. So once it uh, gets torn up by whatever boat propellers or just the ocean, right into the compost pile, no? Exactly. Or into a fish's mouth. Yeah, right. They can eat it. We could eat it too, correct? But it just doesn't taste good. Well, yeah. I mean, you could eat a lot of things, um, <laughs> and it doesn't taste good. You wouldn't you wouldn't get much nutrition out of it. No, okay. it'd be a very fiber fibrous diet. Yeah, right. Like dog biscuits. I mean, I remember trying those yeah. a few times too. Yeah, or cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like the eating cardboard. But I figured if the dogs liked it, you know. <laughs> we did talk about dog toys as an early application. Oh, neat! But my cat likes it. Really. So do you oh, have yeah. like balls and toys, or how do you how do how have you formed it for a cat toy? Oh, he, you know, a scratching post, or sometimes uh-huh. he kind of le- you know likes to lean up against on my desk at work. Uh huh. Got that nice warm feeling. A nice warm <laughs> feeling. I love that. Well, listen, um, we have just a couple of minutes, so I want you to have an opportunity now to promote uh, the tiny house project because I want people to be able to know where to go and to look at that because uh, I thought it was really cool. Um, so you have oh, a YouTube you. video of that, right? Uh, we do. If you go to mushroomtinyhouse.com, uh, Sam, who's been the principal behind the tiny house, has been live blogging uh, his work on that with some videos, lots of great construction photos. You can see how we're doing it, try and do it yourself. And uh, the tiny house is going to be shown for the first time a week at uh, Yestermauer at the world's first tiny house fair in Vermont. Yeah, when is that? I'd actually like to go to that. Uh, it's coming right up. It's uh, yeah. next weekend on Saturday and Sunday. And oh, no kidding. Sam Harrington's giving a great talk on Sunday. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Well, people should look for that. And then also your website. You have two websites. One is Mushroom Packaging, right? And one is Ecovative. Yep. Uh, yep. And Mushroom Packaging is really the one where you can uh, l- learn about the product you can get today. And, uh, and I should say, too, that Mushroom Packaging is uh, being made by our uh, great friends at Sealed Air now. Uh, so they've yes. licensed the technology. Um, they're providing it across North America and Europe, and um, they're kind of the key contact now to to get mushroom packaging. Though we're okay. so hard at work on the technology behind it. I see. So now, Sealed Air; those are the guys who made those air pillows. That was that was kind of quite groundbreaking when those came out, as opposed to like yeah, they have a, a history of being a really innovative company, and uh-huh. I think this is uh, right on their track. That's fantastic, Evan. I really think that's great. Well, um, I'm going to say thank you and goodbye now, um, so that <laughs> I can promote my next show. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I much. do hope you'll come back. I, you know, I want to stay on top of this. I like your story a lot, and uh, you guys are obviously so smart. And I think this is the wave of the future. I'm really excited for you, and um, I'm actually going to send you a client. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Thank you again for joining me today. And folks, next week, uh, Paul Greenberg will be joining me, author of Four Fish. Uh, We'll be talking about his new piece in the Food and Environmental Reporting Network about the dead zone in the Gulf. Uh, Back to my usual doom and gloom. Uh, I know you've missed that terribly today, but isn't it great when you see a company like uh, Ecovative that is just right off the radar in terms of completely new groundbreaking ideas. I'm just, I'm so excited for them. I'm excited for the rest of us that we're going to reap the benefits of their, in, their intelligence and technology. Um, thanks again for listening. Thanks to my sponsor. And we'll see you next week with Paul Greenberg. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.